We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey everybody, Value Add with K&K, Crystal Kenny here. Just want to say thank you so much for the support, for listening, um, the comments, everything. Keep it up. We'll keep going as long as we can. And if you like what you're listening to, like what you're watching, uh, tell your friends about it, leave us a review, maybe even give us five stars. We love those. That's how we can grow and continue to bring you guys value and spread the word. Thanks guys. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Today we have Hunter Beaumont here. Hunter is a syndicator in San Diego and he also is the owner of Cosador Investments. Hunter, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Hunter. Um, good seeing you. Uh, Hunter brought in a little something funny. Our, the sh- the, our name of our show is Value Add with K&K and he's like, check out my license plate. I'm looking Which at something that says value. Add value. Add, add value. value. So add value. We were like meant to be, I think. Which this was meant to happen. Probably means add value to real estate, right? Or That's it. thousand bucks, you guys can buy it from me. No big deal. What a deal. He's already selling us stuff. It's been like 30 seconds. Um, so, Hunter, give us a little bit about your background. Like, basically, how, I don't know, you know, how long you've been in San Diego, okay. how you got in syndication, all that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Born and raised North County, San Diego. Oh, wow. Um, both me and my wife went to Torrey Pines High School. She went to LCC. Like, we're both super locals. We grew up four miles apart, ironically. Wow. Never met until college, which is kind of weird. Wow. 700 miles away. Um, but, yeah, so um, undergraduate up in uh, Utah, BYU. Then after that, that's the only time I've ever lived outside of Southern California. Uh, came back down here. Started working for kind of like a family office here in San Diego. Kind of a funny story. I guess that's how I got into real estate, really. Um, you know, my dad works in the boating industry here in San Diego. Oh, okay. And he just, he's an entrepreneur. I just, maybe it's like a proximity bias thing, but I just, I saw how hard he was kind of working in this industry and it almost felt like he was struggling against a difficult industry, you know, like building these boat yards and doing these things. And his best friend was this guy named uh, Bruce and... Uh, I saw, we called him Uncle Bruce, and Uncle Bruce, it's like, he's always hunting and fishing and, like, never in the office, and he does real estate. And yeah. I was like, hmm, which so one funny. do I want to do here, right? You know, so I just went and interned for him, um, like, my sophomore year in college, kind of never looked back. Went to work for him out of undergrad right away, um, learned a ton. And that's uh, that's kind of, like, one one thing I'd recommend for anyone that's looking for like careers in real estate, I know we're talking about kind of more side oh, yeah, hustle yeah. real estate, yeah. you know, doing stuff yourself, you know, happy to talk to anyone that's interested. I mean, I, I've spent quite a bit of time building a career in real estate, ironically, just to leave it and do my own thing. But um, the importance of a mentor, I think, is, is super important because real estate as a career path is not super linear. It's kind of like still developing, you know, and so people just kind of... There's not a lot move. of training for it either. Hardly at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm besides like, I guess, institutional, the high finance side, you know. Um, but that's different, right? I mean, isn't it so different than what you do today? I mean, there's some similarities, but the way that yes. like an institution would look at real estate versus the Very way different. you would look at it. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So I just think, um, you know, the proximity you can have to a strong mentor 
if you're looking for a career in real estate, like where do I go from here is pretty important. So I was thankful that I kind of landed with him. He didn't give me a ton of career advice, but he was an incredible real estate investor and had a great kind of uh, model for that. And that's what I learned from him, which was... Do you still I mean, communicate with him? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's still a good friend. Um, so yeah, I'm thankful for that, obviously. Do you compete on deals? A few times. We actually <laughs> <have>. <laughs> He's like, I know his trick. It's a, it's, a, it's a small world, you know, so oh, you, you come across so people. so small, right? Yeah. I mean, I always tell people, like, residential, it's bigger because it's different. Sure. Commercial is just, sure. when you really, when you get down to it, it's small. Yep. And it <clears> really <throat> becomes relationship-driven. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, what did you, so what did you learn? It's interesting that you had like the mentor thing. I like that. What did you, so obviously it's funny that like Crystal and I talk about that. I was doing residential when I met Crystal and I come in here and I knew about people that own real estate. Obviously you live yeah. here and you're like, you do loans. You're like, what is this guy? Does this guy ever work? Yeah. Like every yeah. time I talked to him during a loan process, he's here and he's on this trip and that trip. Yeah, like, yeah. And you look at his returns and you're like, this is, and then you start realizing, you're like, what am I missing here? And it's almost like the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book you almost had yep. in your life. It was not really the same thing, but it was like it's the Rich Dad, Poor Dad almost with you. It's no, like, absolutely. It's what it was for you almost, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't really, you, you know, you don't, you don't really notice this in high school, but like coming back around after coming out of undergrad and back to San Diego, like, you know, I, I get a LinkedIn profile. You start connecting with high school friends and you see like, a lot of kids from Torrey Pines, their dads or moms worked in commercial real estate here in San Diego, and they were some very successful people in brokerage, you know, in, in property management, in property ownership and investment. And it's just kind of like, huh, this is starting to kind of make sense, you know. And then you hear about, I mean, you see some of the some of the hospitals here in town and some things that are named after large real estate investors. Yeah, and, absolutely. And some of the major benefactors of San Diego, and you kind of realize, hmm, you know, I think this is a pretty good source of what we call generational wealth, right? Did you, in high school, did you have an idea of like where you thought you would be? Did you no. have this idea of what you wanted to do? Not really, no. It's it, never real estate because I always say this to people. Like nobody ever was like, I want to be in real estate when yeah. I grow up. Very rarely <laughs> does anybody say that. Correct. Yeah, no. Uh, honest, honestly, I mean, high school, I was just thinking about sports, playing sports, you know, trying to get into college. Um, and then I think it was uh, – during college, I just, like I said, I saw this, this friend of my family's that did so well, and he was always off doing other things, and thought, okay, that looks cool. And I remember, I remember interning for him, you know, making, I don't know, a minimum wage or something, right? And, uh, like, really thinking, I don't really, I'm not really that passionate about this. Like, I don't really care about buildings or fixing up buildings. And it yeah. just, it's just funny to look back on that. Like, it has absolutely become a passion. I mean, my license plate, right? It's, yeah. Like, it's actually absolutely become a lifestyle. I drive my wife crazy because I talk about real estate constantly and she hates it. That's so funny. <laughs> She's like, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Please. Anything <laughs> else? Funny. It's like our kids are real estate, which drives her actually, crazy. Actually, Chris and I sometimes go, okay, we need to stop. We'll get around to their family. Yeah. And they like it and they're all, everybody else is looking around. And somebody finally said, hey, guys, can we talk about something else? Always said real estate. We're like, yeah, now we're like, okay, let's just be conscious of it because sometimes people yes. don't want to hear it. Yeah. And they don't care. And they don't yep. care that you just tiled like, and yeah. remodeled a bill. They don't care. You know, it's That's like, why we just hang out with each other all the time. You, you know, other real estate people. Then we can kind yep. of go. It's funny, though, now, too, because everybody that's in real estate, we've all kind of become friends. So now you're sure. like, come check out my deal. Like, I just did this rehab. Yep. Like, what do you think? And 
it is fun to do that, but we do have to stop ourselves from time to time. Like his sister and brother-in-law are in marketing. So when okay. we're sitting here talking about real estate, they're just like snooze, you know? So. <laughs> but if they ever have a question, right? Yeah. Oh, they, oh, they're on. calling us. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. Call- I mean, that's the one thing is, is like people, I always tell people, if you don't call me, shame on you. You have yep. a huge resource from, I mean, because yep. we know the finance management and you know too, just all the stuff you've done, look sure. how much you've learned in the last whatever. It's, it's funny because um, it's funny how so many times like you go to high, you go to college and in high school you weren't paying attention to stuff. You come back, you're like, how was I just not like yeah. and even you see kids now, their parents own property and they would I'm not gonna mention names, but they would come to us and be like, My son's not interested and I go, dude, he's in high school. Yep. And you come back to college, he's still not interested. I said, just let him do his thing. He'd go get a job, come back, and be like, This is too hard. I work this hard, I make this much money, screw this. He goes, Okay. The next thing I know, it's like four years later, my team in the family business, they're like, yep. just like you fired up, talking about real estate, we did this, we did that. Yep. I think sometimes you just got to get there on your own, you know? It's like trying Absolutely. to jam, jam your kid or force it to him, it's not going to work, so. Yeah, and I think, at, you know, at, at college, I think just getting a breadth of experience, trying a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of different internships, see what you like. You know, and then kind of see where you land, see where your options are and your skill set. So, so what happened after you worked for Uncle Bruce? Uncle Bruce. <laughs> yeah. He, I, I got to get him to listen to this. Um, <laughs> so after Uncle Bruce, um, so I, I came in, so I was finance undergrad, always kind of been numbers-centric, numbers okay. guy-ish. Um, you know, and, and the role there was kind of finance. He really, he already had like a director of acquisitions and it kind of morphed into property management and like asset management. And I wasn't super excited about that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to kind of see, okay, this guy's got a great model, super smart guy. I mean, he he literally doubled the size of his portfolio almost from like 2010 to 2013. Like he was capitalized perfectly. Mm-hmm. He saw the opportunity, Boom. bought a ton of stuff that almost no one else was looking at at the time, has since completely cashed out in a lot of that stuff, refinanced. I mean, done very, very well off of those investments. Um, I said, this is great, but I kind of wanted to see how real estate was done at that institutional level and get that experience, which is kind of unique. But um, that's what I wanted to do, partly because of the income associated with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It Um, seems kind of sexy too, right? Because you're like, wow, I get to underwrite these huge deals, stuff that you wouldn't have access to with the mom pops. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So I saw, you know, with this no name little, you know, more or less mom and pop, but you know, a very successful mom and pop on my resume, it was very difficult to go kind of upstream and go to a big shop. So the only jump really for me was that would kind of make bridge that gap was graduate school, MBA. Um, so went up to USC, um, actually did dual master's MBA and MRED, master real estate development, hmm. which is just, you can do both in two years and finish, you know, which is cool. And so I tacked it on. I've never developed anything. I don't really <laughs> yeah. have any intentions to, but Super cool to learn the skill set, especially here in California with how difficult it is to build, you know, all the environmental regulations. Yep. So super cool to learn that. And, you know, uh, really, I think, you know, USC has been in the news lately for certain reasons. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the, the network, the Trojan network is humongous. It's very strong, especially regionally and in real estate. So that was kind of the reason for going there. Still plan to come back here, you know, but I saw... It's funny. I think before I like right before I finished working for Uncle Bruce, we were at a closing dinner for this you know, pretty big like kind of shop, small shopping mall that he was buying, and I was kind of deciding what school to go to. We go to this closing dinner. The broker who was hosting the dinner is like raining outside. He goes out to his like Range Rover, pulls out a USC umbrella, and I was like, okay, there we go. That's yeah. Work. So <laughs> so I went to USC. Oh wow. 
Yeah, and um, and then went kind of full institutional real estate after that. So I went for wow. went work for like a institutional money manager that managed like eight or nine billion dollars at the time. <sighs> was doing acquisitions across the country, all over, all asset classes. Mm-hmm. You know, really everything, which was very challenging, um, but also extremely fulfilling. Super cool, like you're saying. I mean, we were yeah. underwriting like. $300 million deal in New York City, you know, yep. and then you're looking at a portfolio of 10, like, Amazon fulfillment centers in the Inland Empire, you know, and wow. then all student housing in Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. so really cool. Um, you know, you, you have to kind of develop a, a frame set for how you analyze that, because the, the boots on the ground guy is going to beat you every time, unless you can at least kind of have an angle or, you know, a way you can figure that out at least as well as they can, and that's in every market in the country, you right. know, so yeah, it's super challenging, um, but very fulfilling, then dropped down to a uh, – always kind of wanted to focus on apartments, multifamily, professionally and personally. So dropped down to like a fund, um, a private equity fund that invested in multifamily exclusively. Um, and then after about a year and a half there, um, decided to make the jump and do my own thing, which was interesting at the time. But uh, I just – I'd been I'd been buying stuff kind of on the side uh, since about 2012, I think. Nice. Okay. First deal was a little duplex in Encinitas and then exchanged that into another one, exchanged that on. And um, I just kind of looked at – at the time, I already had three kids, right? Wow. Um, you were busy during those years. <laughs> <laughs> we were busy. Um, so I've got three kids, right? Like I'm just thinking – like I had this deal. I was going to exchange. I decided I'm just going to take this money. I'm going to pay taxes. I'm going to put it in the bank. Yeah, I, just, I didn't see a time in the future where – it, it would be more probable, right, that, like, this liquidity event that I had in proportion to my, like, annual needs for my family, that okay. ratio, you know, I felt like it was just going to get tougher and tougher going forward. So I said, hey, I'm going to make the jump. That was, uh, what, 2017? Um, I'd already kind of been – we'd already kind of bought some things on the side, even with investors. And so it was kind of like the side hustle was getting to a point, you know, mm-hmm. where – was it more like partnerships than syndications? So literally just me and me and one guy. Yeah. 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 We just had this one guy, family friend. But we were on like our third or fourth one, you know, they're kind of mm-hmm. getting bigger. It wasn't it wasn't that I was competing with my day job at all, really. They're buying hundred. Your time is competing deals. though. Correct. It, so it was, that's the hard part. So the side hustle was getting big enough and I had that deal I sold and I just said, Hey, I'm gonna go for it. So Yeah. What do yeah. you know? It started with a side hustle. I love it. That's it, man. That's Absolutely. How it's gotta do it, you know? I mean yeah. that's the way to do it. Yeah, so we bought uh, at that point, we bought, I think, six deals in 12 months here in San Diego. Just just all little stuff, you know, fives, tens, 20-unit kind of deals. Built that into a little portfolio. Um, built a management company, too. I thought, you know, someone's going to get this income. Might as well be us, you know, to yeah. manage it ourselves. Uh, my brother worked for Alliance Residential as a oh, leasing okay. agent when he was in school. Brought him on board. He had kind of the skill set, you know, to do that. Um, so, yeah, so now we're, we're kind of finish the first generation kind of renovation deals and looking mm-hmm. to either exchange those up or return money to investors is kind of where we're at right now. So so San Diego was kind of a choice for you because that's where you're from, basically. I mean, and yes. you got to see all these other markets too. Correct. So did that kind of shed some light? Like, oh, I can do just as well and be here in my hometown. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's funny because that Uncle Bruce, mm-hmm. um, almost exclusively San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, is that just out of convenience? You know, because mm-hmm. when you live here, it's a great place to live. A lot of people just like to invest close to where they're at, yeah. you know, and I just always thought, is this just convenience? Is he just lucky, you know, but then looking at all these markets in the country, you know, I just I really saw 
you know, okay, if you're going to invest anywhere in apartments, right, first of all, if you're talking internationally, United States, right, we have the greatest worldwide economy, you've got rule of law, you've got enforceable property rights, so there's a lot of reasons to be here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Then you go to California. California, we have Prop 13, property taxes only go up 2% a year, right, versus Texas, a lot of their markets where mm -hmm. that's kind of a variable, an unknown variable. Um, and then it's super hard to build, as we know and I'll talk about. We've got environmental regulations, so it becomes a landlord's market, right? Mm -hmm. Then I drop down to San Diego, and we've got a diversified economy. You know, we've got military here, obviously, great education, great universities. I think the second highest number of millennials of any mm -hmm. major metro in the company in the country. I think Alan said the, yeah. the, maybe the top, right, or yeah. something. We're yeah. right there with Alan Austin, yeah. Austin, right Texas, there. and us. Yeah. Right yeah. There, yeah, and. I think one of the things that compare, that I think San Diego does well compared to markets like some of the other West Coast growth markets, like Vegas is super hot right now. You know, Vegas has UNLV, but they don't have a diversified enough economy to keep their college students there long term. Right. Kids go to school, they, they move yeah. to L.A. or something, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to work. At the casino, casino or <laughs> some In entertainment, entertainment or something. Somehow. Honestly, yep. it's it's it's, it's, kind of it's it. limited. You got to start a business. It's tough. Yeah. Correct. Honestly, outside of that, it's pretty sleepy. I have a friend yeah. that's from Vegas, and yeah. the other thing that always scares me too is because one of the first things I learned in real estate, I forget which book it was that I read, but they always say like, build where they're not, there's not a lot of land. Yep. And you're, everywhere you look in Vegas. <laughs> you anywhere you want. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Just anywhere you just want. Just go up yeah. on top of the wheel and look around, it's yep. just all land. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's just, um, I, I, I start up, like with my investors, I start off with that. It's like, I'm not investing in San Diego just out of convenience because I live here. Like, I feel very strongly about the demographics. You know, I mean, the, the economy is super strong. Like you guys have said before, we're kind of walled in mm -hmm. geographically. Four walls. Yeah, I mean Camp Pendleton is awesome because LA is never going to become us, and right. we, you know can't go any farther. You got the mountains, you got the ocean, you got Mexico. So yeah, no, it's yeah, and not many people want to go too far that way because there's just not much going on. So yeah, I think I mean really the the challenge I think that you know looking at especially compared to like Texas, um, even Nevada, Utah, some of the other and the Pacific Northwest with Amazon, obviously, the, the other kind of West, West Coast growth markets, California is, you know, because of the, the cost of living, really, right? I mean, when I was in business school, Toyota announced they were moving from Long Beach all the way to Plano, Texas. You know, it's like 8,000 employees. Okay. Um, I think I just saw a news article this week that um, California had its slowest um, population growth in 50 years this last year, you know? So it's... It's such a juggernaut, you know, we've the sixth biggest economy in the world, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's a monster. Um, but because it is so expensive to live here and for certain reasons, why wouldn't a company just go to Plano, you know, or wherever and just set up shop there? It's easier for their employees to live. So I think that's our biggest challenge going forward. Um, but at the same time, if you own the, you know, the affordable housing here, in San Diego, like it's always going to be full. There's nowhere, there's nowhere else for those people really to go, you know. And that's that's kind of what we focus on is, for the most part, I would say, kind of workforce plus housing somewhere right in there. Right. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, the one thing too that I've learned, and and we haven't looked at too many markets outside of San Diego, but we've even looked in the past. Like we had clients that were investing maybe five or six years ago up like around the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, it's great. So we flew up there. We start looking at neighborhoods. And the hard part is, is that when you're going to these other markets, unless you're an expert in that market, yeah. it's tough because you could buy a property, you know, 
that's in a bad market, but two blocks away could be great. Yep. So yeah. it's the same thing here in San Diego. So when part of it is you kind of are here and you know the neighborhoods and you know the good areas and the bad areas. Yep. And then also if you're a smaller owner, going being an outsider coming in, it's you kind of like I would think you're getting the deals nobody else wanted yep. that all their big owners or investors didn't want. So that's where I think you have to be really careful with your purchases. You can do all the research in the world, but yep. there might be those little things that you don't know about that you would only know by living there. Absolutely. No, it's that's totally true. We um we looked at Salt Lake City a little bit too. It's a pretty strong, you know, yeah. growth market right now, job mm-hmm. growth market. Um, Goldman Sachs has like back office operations there and, and some other companies are going there. Um, and yeah, you kind of need to have the handshake up in Utah, you know, to, to be able to break into that market, um, with the demographic there, obviously, which I'm a part of, but, um, but also, um, it's like, it's just, it's just funny. We, I mean, I talked to this broker and he's like, Hey, listen, this, this is the angle we'll take for you to win a deal. It's like all the local guys, like their boots on the ground, they're going to probably find nine out of the 10 deals that are really good deals. He said, what we'll literally do with out of town guys like you is we'll just go to long-term owners. We'll say, hey, we have this rich guy from California. Like he's looking for it. He's looking for properties. They just want to throw some money at you and just hope that one of them sticks and maybe it's a little better deal than a market deal. You Just because the owner's owned so long, he's not in touch with where the market's at right now. Right. Like that's this the only the, angle. And is, you're going that direct. That is the conversation yes. they have with you. Yeah. Yes. He's like, it's like that's what we do. You know what's funny is, is <clears throat> um, I've heard people invest in all these states, and it's funny that they go, "Hey, some rich guys coming from California." Because yep, yep, for some yep. reason, it's always the rich guy from think, California. Yeah. Because yeah. no, when they look at price per door units here, if you yep. have money coming, they're like, "They have," but they oh, also yeah. know like we're sophisticated, like because yep. it's a, you know it's it's tough to buy stuff here. It's competitive. Sure. But you're coming with a lot of money because they know you're going from a yep. two hundred door here or three hundred to like. Yeah. 100 or 50 or Well, whatever. that's what's yeah. funny about yep. some of these big syndicators or even just individual owners. It'll be like, I own 200 units. And you're like, where? They're like, in Plano, <laughs> Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, we think our numbers are small, but yep, it's like yep. they're paying 50000 a door yeah. and we're paying 200 or 250 you know? So yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you see the, the annual list of like biggest owners of multifamily. Yeah. I mean – if the New York guy is like number five, like the value of their portfolio is probably 50 times the Texas guy. You right. Know, it's just, I mean, it's a million a door out there, you know, or more. Right. Yeah. Versus 50,000 in Odessa, Texas, right. or wherever you're at. So, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, I, I know we're kind of just, um, I kind of want to jump a little bit more about specifically what you're doing, you know? Um, I value. <laughs> um, so, I know you kind of talked about why. Ultimately, why did you pick multifamily? Okay, and is yeah. that is that really where you're sticking? Are you gonna, you know, move off that, or is that just 100 percent you're all in on multifamily? Or? Um, it's probably like 75 percent, I okay. would say. Um, when I went to school, I thought, you know, it's like retail's changing, right? Amazon has changed retail a lot, right? Um, Amazon has helped industrial quite a bit, obviously yeah. fulfillment centers, crazy market, mm-hmm. even stronger than multifamily, yeah. honestly, in San yep. Diego. And I just thought. I just, you know, this guy I work for, he's just super risk averse dude, you know, like not like how much money I can make, but like, how do I not get hurt? You know, kind mm-hmm. of mentality. And so I was thinking about that career wise as well. I thought, okay, well, if I specialize in just one thing and if that goes out of style, you know, like if I sell typewriters or something, right. And that yeah. goes out of style, you're in trouble. Right. So 
I thought I'm going to be a generalist and try to learn all asset classes at the very least. Like if I'm just going to do finance and real estate, I'm going to learn all these asset classes just so in case the opportunity comes up, you know, in case I have some family friend who has a REIT, you know, that only does office or something, maybe right. I can make that work, you know, or, and, um, and so I didn't really focus professionally on an, on like an asset class. But that being said, personally, yeah, my first deal was a duplex in Encinitas yeah. and I traded them like a fourplex. And mm-hmm. I've just, um, I've always thought, you know, industrial is kind of for big boys. It's like, because you have, you know, if you have a hundred thousand square foot building, it's either leased or it isn't yeah. by right. one tenant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, unless you can cover that mortgage, like that's going to be painful, Whew. you know, office, at least from my institutional experience to maintain an office property, you know, to a level that renters are going to want. I've heard you spend, you can spend almost 40% of your NOI on CapEx mm-hmm. on an annual basis and over your whole period. I like see that. Humongous. Yeah. So, you know, unless you have a stomach for that, it's kind of like, you know, you hold multifamily, you can trade office, you can kind of swing trade it, you know, say you buy it vacant, you fill it up, you sell it to a REIT or something, you know, that's, that's a way you can make money in office, you buy it at a low basis, you do the work, um, you know, apartments, you never really buy vacant, usually, right, at least here in San Diego, but I just thought, okay, you know, retail, you don't have to go to a store, right, you could buy online, telecommuting, I mean, we've kind of proven that offices are still important, but size per employee is shrinking, right? So it's kind of moving a little bit. Industrial, again, that kind of, that big boy thing, like it's either leased or it isn't, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. cover an $80,000 mortgage, you know, with no income. And so I just thought everyone needs a place to live, right? That's the, that's the <laughs> line we always hear. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's, it's that's like my only reason. Somebody always needs a place to live. Yeah. And like you said, you have... I think we've seen people that sell their apartments because it's too much headache and they go into triple net or something like that. But for me, multifamily, yes, you're dealing with more headaches, but at least yeah. you have more people that are paying your mortgage. Yep. So like you said, if one or two of those people move out, you're good. You yes. can still cover your expenses and Especially probably still make Diego, a little bit of money. pretty predictable. Yep. No, absolutely. You put it out to lease and somebody's going to lease it here leased. unless it's a real – problem property or yep. something which is not what you're doing so yeah i know we're yeah. what the market's like 96 percent occupied yeah. usually 95 i mean it doesn't it doesn't I mean, really go below that yeah that much so and absolutely I mean, some people it's 100 depending on you know what you got yeah um so can you explain to us um for the audience or people listening don't know what exactly is syndication sure yeah um i it, my, my, my my wife jokes because i tell i tell people she's like what do you even do? Like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> what do you do all day? Just, just, tell them, just, tell, just tell them I'm a syndicator. And she's like, what is, that's the stupidest word ever. Even, <laughs> no one knows what that means. And I was like, good. I don't want them to know what that's I do. Funny. You know, but anyways, um, yeah. So I, I syndicate deals as in I bring together, you know, different groups of investors to buy for, for an investment. I guess that's syndication technically, mm-hmm. right? You bring together a group of people, you structure the deal, you know, you, you find the deal, structure it, bring together the money, and um, and execute on that business plan. So, um, so yeah. So basically, as I mentioned earlier, it's been me and one investor for the most part, which has been very convenient and yes. very easy. Um, there's been times where, like his, him and I kind of say like he gets first look at all my deals. There's been times where he's said no, not right now, or you know, no, don't like this one. And so then I'll usually go out and go to friends, like friends and family money. Um, I guess what I would say the interesting thing about using what we call opium, other people's money, mm-hmm. opium, yeah, that's funny. right? Um, that's funny. It's addicting. Mm-hmm. 
it's a huge responsibility, obviously, yeah. right? Something I take incredibly seriously. Um, and it's it's frightening because of that, you know? Um, and so, like, I I would treat my investors' money even better than my own, you know? And I hear that a lot. If you're buying a duplex or a fourplex, it's kind of like, you know, I don't... Whatever happens, as long as I can make the mortgage, you know, it's like I'm making the decisions. I can sell anytime I want. You know, mm-hmm. I can do this. And if you mess up, you, you have to answer to yourself, which That's is it. so yeah. much easier. So, yeah. I mean, I've got a recorded track record, you know, that gets shown to investors. And on top of that is just the additional layer that even if even if you find a good deal, there's kind of two parts to it. It's like, okay, this is a good deal, but now between me and the investors, I got to structure a way that makes sense for them and makes sense for me, right? There's kind of additional complexity there. Um, and it's not always easy to perfectly align people's interests. I mean, no. A lot of people try, you know, you have promote preferred returns and promote structures and waterfalls and fees and all these different things. And it can, it can definitely be challenging. So I try to just keep it simple. You know, I don't, I have a really complicated partnership model. Um, we can go into details of that. I think that's kind of boring, but if you guys want to talk about that, we can, but we're going to get into it. We can, we (laughs) definitely can. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like, my money comes from people that I care quite a bit about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Makes it I, even harder. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's like, I mean, that's that's my biggest stress at all times. You know, it's uh-huh. like, if the deal did bad and it was just me, like that... Still probably, stressful, but you're... Probably going to be okay. But you, but if, like you said, you're taking the hit. But yeah. if it's to a group of your family, friends, Correct. It's t- you got to look at them. It's tough. To, absolutely. Yeah. And and ironically, sometimes it's, e- it's easier to, to get that money... Then you don't realize that when it's coming in, you know. You think, oh, this is going to go great. You know, everyone thinks yeah. this, this is going to be great. Yeah, we'll just put some money in this deal and <laughs> San the Diego, <laughs> and then stuff happens, yeah. you know. So um, yeah. things can happen. Thankfully, you know. Um, you, l- let me ask you a question because um, I like what you're. I like what you're saying is because I think a lot of people enough don't talk about. Um, they think real estate, it's fun, it's great, yeah. and you make money, and yay. And you're sweet. always on these vacations, and it's yeah. so yeah. easy, oh, hey. and it's, yeah. Um, yeah. And they all, I always tell people, you know, we're young, so you see the guys, you know, driving out of Rancho Santa Fe in their nice car, and yep. then they're going on their private jet, and they, oh, they're, man, I'm going to do that. And nobody said, well, did you ask that guy what he's doing at 25 years old? Because he's 65, you know? Yep. yep. And um, some of them did have partners, and some of them didn't. But one thing that interested me about that is, like, how do you deal with problems? I like to know. Um, and I do like um, seeing you. People can't see you, but I can see that you genuinely care. So obviously it could affect you're sure. not sleeping. You've got a family. You've yeah. got kids. Yeah. You've got a wife. How do you not bring that home? And why I'm talking about that is I don't think people realize when you invest in real estate just with your own money, because when I have things can happen, yep. things you didn't plan for. So, oh my gosh, that costs an extra hundred grand or two hundred grand, or oh, we didn't sell, or I didn't get that interest rate, yep. or they, I didn't know about this problem. Yep. And we, as a family, still have to deal with it, and it's a lot of stress on us. Yep. Um, and you have to go back out sometimes and say, "Hey, I found a problem. Yep. We have to get more money." So I'm just curious, how do you deal with that if you're willing to share? And Absolutely. How does that, that kind of look? Yeah, no, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Yeah. Um, so first of all, transparency with investors is like incredibly important. Keeping communication open, right? Like you never want to be behind bad news. You want to be in front of it at all times, mm-hmm. right? It was something someone told me once. So anything goes wrong, anything's not quite as expected, not quite what was in the pro forma, 
I mean, I send sometimes I'm like weekly emails to investors. Here's our status update for this week. We thought we were going to lease, you know, the last four units. We only leased two of them. We've got two more left. Here's when we anticipate leasing them. You know, we're still 5% above our pro forma rents or whatever we expected. Just keeping the lines of communication open. Um, and that can be tedious, certainly. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I don't have like an insane amount of investors. I'm not like one of these like crowdfunding you know, websites where <laughs> yeah. they have a lot of people at a little amount of money. I mostly have a few people that have put quite a bit into the deal. Um, but we joke also that there's what we call the, the $25,000 guy. Um, of course. He's like the biggest pain in the butt, right? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so oh, it's boy. like the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of the people take 80% of your time. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, just, you know, staying in front of all of it. And then um, at the get-go, being conservative in what I promise to investors, you know, okay. trying to under-promise and then over-deliver. Yep. Because, I mean, you just don't know. I mean, I have like four pages of disclosures at the beginning of every deal, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, here's what could go wrong. This could go wrong. This could, I mean, there's a lot of things, right? Yeah. I mean, crazy things you don't even think about. They so, don't usually happen, but it's like you you have to like let people know, hey, this yes. this is a possibility. Yeah. So we, as an example, we have a deal, um, a 10-unit deal on Bankers Hill that we bought April 2018. Um Got it. It was kind of like pocket marketed, I guess. wasn't fully marketed. Um, bought it through a broker that I've transacted with four times in the last eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the listing broker. Hope he isn't listening. Didn't quite know what he had, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> the price he was listing it at. Um, it's okay. This, this thing looks at the ocean. It's you a, appreciate it. Yeah, and I. Hey, I appreciate it. There's there's a funny story there too, but it's. I don't know how far I can go because some of these guys might be listening. But um, <laughs> anyways, um, got it at a good price. This thing looks at the ocean on Bankers Hill. It's a cool location. You know, walk down the hill to Little Italy. Sweet. And it was like 200 a door, you know, which is wow. really good, I think, For pricing. Hill, oh, my God. Yeah. Good pricing. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. So one we, bedrooms or? Uh, all one bedroom. I think a few studios, but yeah. mostly one bedroom. Still deal. With parking, wow. which is cool because a lot of Bankers Hill is like those old Victorian buildings with no, no parking, parking and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So this is like 70s built, parking. Um, we added washer dryers in the units. We, you know, full tile bath, decked them out, very nice, got great rents. Um, but we had some issues with our contractor. And this deal, you know, normally we'll buy stuff with permanent financing at acquisition. I don't like taking interest rate risk and having to do like a bridge loan and then stabilize. Mm-hmm. It just also adds up, stacks up the cost too. Every loan you do, yeah. it's like it's points and fees. It's, for you. it's time, it's cost. There's mm-hmm. a lot of reasons. So I've, I've generally just done, you know, we'll put a seven or like a five or seven or 10 year kind of fixed loan on it at acquisition and then just ride the cash flow. Um, but that particular deal, um, the in-place income was so low, right, that it was like, I couldn't even get like a 50% loan. Yep. And as a syndicator, you know, the the less equity in the deal, yeah. the smaller denominator, right? The returns look higher. So um, so we did a, like a bridge loan, short-term bridge loan. Um, and we literally, and because of the issues with the contractor and struggling to finish the thing, our rent still came in 5% above what we expected, even though we leased up in like December instead of oh, leasing wow. up in the summer. Worst time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worst time of the year. A lot of work. And December um, was kind of a quiet, like this was, last December was, was like yeah. kind of scary December. quiet. We stabilized December 1, I think, wow. of 2018. Oh, it was slow. It was slow. Crickets, we yeah. were supposed to have refinanced by then and been done, you know, but it just, things happened. So thankfully, um, you know, disclosing this all to investors as we go, I thought it underwritten 
at least relatively conservatively, you know. Um, we hit our numbers on the rents, you know, had a, had a small overage on the ca- on the capital call on the deal. We had to call some more money to finish the renovation. Um, and we literally ended up, I had a one-year loan, and I think I had um, two six-month extensions, which were like half a point each you had to pay, you know, for the extensions. We refinanced like six days before the end of the one-year period. Wow. It was like right there, which was awesome. Um, and we had a little dip in rates actually um, last uh, yeah. week, which was awesome. Yep. So that really helped us actually quite a bit. But but yeah, I mean, it's like stuff happens. Um, I've learned candidly that if you're adding value, value add. Um, my contractor is like almost 30% of like what I do, you know, like, I mean, it's like I can say that I fix apartments, but it's not actually me yeah. right. fixing apartments. And so I didn't realize at the time when I go to investors, my relationship with my contractors is a big deal for me. Um, and, you know, things happen in the construction industry, obviously. They um, never go according to plan. I mean, things hard. happen. Yeah. But you just hope that you have a contractor who's, like, responsible and on top of it. And yeah, that can or be, transparent. That can be a yes. bit of a roller coaster ride, too, like we have. <laughs> I think them just being transparent is helpful, you know? Yes, absolutely. So, so we're, you know, we we're working through that and figuring out who we're going to work with on you know an ongoing basis. But thankfully, you know, finished that one. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just tough because as you underwrite a deal – there's kind of like industry averages, you know, for how a multifamily deal might do. And so obviously as you're sitting there trying to structure this, you're going to feel pressure to make sure the IRR looks like an 18 or something, you know, instead right. of a 16. And so all you got to do is change one little assumption in your model, you know, but but then down the road, right? You still have to answer for it. You got to answer for it. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've just tried to always under-promise, over-deliver. And sometimes people are like, you know, your deal is – not that great. Doesn't look that great. Yeah, you're yeah. only going to make a 16 or it's only like a 55 or 6% cash flow. I can get this elsewhere. I'm like, okay, go ahead. You know, go for it. But I feel like I can deliver on this most likely. You know, so that's that's kind of what I try to do. I think what people don't realize too is you're right. You probably could go get that somewhere else. But what I tell clients all the time uh, because we had the management business is that your time is money. Like you can make more money, but you can't make more time. Correct. And so – how much time are you going to spend to go get that five and a half or six cap yep. when you're working full time and you have a family and you want to get into the game, you're going to spend. <clears throat> and then too, I think when people have their own money, it's like they're not able to take all these risks. So having you as an expert to facilitate the deal, to yep. work through it, to give you the updates, all those things, like that's valuable. So if they can go out and make the same amount of money as you would make them without really much effort at all, that's a pretty screaming deal. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just availability too, you know, I mean, like yeah. people, like I've, some of my competition is the online platforms, you know, people can go in and invest like, with like a hundred bucks, you can go on CrowdStreet or whatever those, you know, yeah. things are. Um, hmm. And, uh, but like, if something goes wrong, who are you going to call? You know, like, is there a person, exactly. you know, like, who are you going to, and I'd like, I've had people that have told me, um, what is it called? Like rich uncles or whatever. He's like, oh, I can make 7%, you know, 8% cash flow with rich uncles buying triple nets in Texas. And I'm like, okay, go for it. Have fun, you know, but like, this is what we do. We feel pretty confident in it. We're investing in, like, you know what market we're investing in. Yep. Like you live here, you can drive the deal. I'm available anytime to talk to you. Like, you know, that, like you're saying that, that I think that is part of it, you know, yeah. just have the, the proximity, the availability, 
and the expertise though too because like we tell people all the time if if you're just a first-time buyer going in you have a huge disadvantage to the people who are already known who are pretty active I mean Kenny and I might get deals because people know us but we're also not getting as many deals as maybe a syndicator would because if I buy a deal a year you're buying maybe two three four five ten deals a year as a syndicator Who's going to get those deals? Yep. Well, the guy who's super active. So you're going to get that expertise on the front end and you're going to get those relationships, mm-hmm. access to them where you wouldn't have otherwise. But then also when it comes down to the management, because I know you manage in-house and all those little things like yep. your software, your vendors, you know, leasing strategies, all those things where they're having to reinvent the wheel, even just having like your like a good lease template with all the right disclosures and <laughs> so you don't get sued or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. hey, what about the on-site manager laws? Are, How many people are, are they, really are they yep. done correctly? Because yeah, it's another. It's problem. a big deal. Yeah. All of those things mm-hmm. really add to the expertise. So. It's, it's funny. Everybody always thinks it's so easy going in, hmm. right? Like, I just need to do that first deal. And then yep. it's like, okay, well, now what? Here you yep. go. Now you got to collect the rent and do the yep. books and do the leasing. And the tenants are calling you when they have a drippy faucet or they have this. Or, or you hire a management company. It's a total nightmare. There's yep. all those things that you basically take on, Yep. Um, which is, I think, a huge, huge value. Yeah. I mean, even, even at the, the front end of that, like you're saying, just trying to compete with, you know, with other buyers here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I mean, from my experience, like there's a broker that I use quite a bit. Um, I've transacted with him like four times in the last like 12 or 18 months. Mm-hmm. Like we've gotten pretty close. He likes me. He knows I can transact. I'm still like number two or three on his list, I think. Right. right? There's a guy he's done 50 deals with right. right here in town. Right. And then just, I mean, just to give you an idea of like the nature of the competition, I think, you know, as especially as you get into bigger deals in San Diego, you know, the little ones, I think you can usually find, like, maybe it's an MLS broker, you know, that, that just got this investment yeah, property you. listing. <laughs> I don't know what they have, yeah. you know. Yeah. If you're smart enough, just go direct to them. Yeah. My favorite done. is the residential agents. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Come on here. Oh. Let's get it locked up. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, like, I have a 22-unit deal in Oceanside on the Coast Highway, like South O. If you guys have heard of South O, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a thing down here in Mission Valley, but it's a thing up there. Um and yeah, it was, I mean, it was a broker that was just like a residential agent and he just had the relationship and he got this listing and didn't even put it on like CoStar or anything. And I literally heard about it from my termite guy, like, <laughs> like who does my termite inspection. He's like, hey, there's this property. I think it's on the market. Um, it's kind of cool. It's like right by the ocean. It's an ocean side. And I'm thinking like, what does this guy know, you know, about yeah. real estate investing? I was like, okay, I guess I'll check it out. Turns out to be an unbelievable deal. It's like our best property in our portfolio. I went direct to this, you know, resident agent guy. He loves it. He's like, yes. He loved it. Yeah, we transacted. And also now I I can sell it with whoever I want because I don't really have allegiance to him, obviously. But no, it's just, I mean, it's it's super competitive. There's there's a guy that I know that is the direct competitor of mine, but been around a lot longer out of Newport Beach. Um, He literally will go, he just, he knows these properties so well, right? Like, he knows when they were built. He knows what they are. He buys stuff probably like I would say 50 units is probably the smallest he'll do. But if you're going to try to compete in that sphere, right, like he will literally go and say, I will give you like $300,000 non-refundable day one. Yep. No contingencies. Yep. And he just – he could lose it. Like he I has it to buyer. lose. You probably know the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I mean that's – 
Like, how are you going to beat that, you know? Well, and that's the thing, too. I think with the experience, it's probably hard for you if you have investors to do something like that. But if you were going to buy your own deal, like, you could maybe take that risk. But it's sure. so ballsy for most people yes. to go in on it, especially a deal that size. We're not talking about a duplex Correct. either or, Correct. you know, a five unit. That's a pretty sizable deal. So it's like, okay, put it on the line. No, it's, it's I mean, it's crazy. And then, and then I, you know, from my kind of, from the institutional side, um, San Diego is kind of like an anomaly. Like they want to be here so much because they love the dynamics as well. Yeah. And they all have allocations to different markets. We want to be 5% here, you know, or 3% here or whatever. Mm-hmm. They all want to be in San Diego. Like all the, all the REITs, all the institutional guys, like, you know, they've, they've got some big holdings in LA. They want to have one or two in San Diego. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I've looked at, you know, you look on CoStar, you pull up all properties in, all multifamily properties in San Diego, like, I think 100 units plus. Not many. There's like not even that. There's like 300 of them or something yeah. or 200. I mean, the brokers know every single one of those. They know every yeah. single they agent. Trade their, they all trade the five. We were talking about that with some other broker. They trade the five, 10 deals here. Yep. They make their, you know, yep. they make a good commission. It's, it's kind of like, it's yep. that's a small world. Correct. It's a yeah, lot of the same buyers and sellers. Yep. Just and I, recycling. And honestly, recycling. I would say yep. how we win, like how we're winning is relationships. Yep. Like Crystal and I win because it's like, it's like we know that guy mm-hmm. or and how we can win too is we can refer business to them. They're like, well, mm-hmm. you did this, you did that. It's like I'm going to get you in. The, they get an off-market deal. They're like, I'm going right to you, and yeah. that's how we're going to win. Otherwise, how do I compete? Mm-hmm. So I can only win with relationships and you too. Yes. How do we beat the out-of-town guys? You're like, you're really going to feed them? What about us? So Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's absolutely right. I mean, I think um, I love the quote Warren Buffett's guy, Charlie Munger. Yeah, I love Charlie. says, um, show me – uh, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Yeah. And like with brokers, like, right, they don't get paid unless the deal closes. Okay. Like if you will make that as easy as possible and as sure as possible for them, mm-hmm. they're going to love you, obviously. I even, there's even, you know, competitors of mine in town that will tell the broker, hey, if you bring me the deal, you can even roll your commission in and be a part owner in the deal with me, you know, mm-hmm. offer them a, a participation in the deal. And I've even suggested that to some other guys as well. It's like, you just have to find, you know, some kind of angle I think you're right. Relationships are a big part of it. Because performing and not being a pain in the yes. ass buyer. And, you know, because people say, how do you guys get off market deals? And I tell people, number one is you cannot be a pain in the ass. <laughs> because when you're a pain in the ass yeah. with a couple of people, that spreads like wildfire throughout the entire community. Yep. It really does. Especially if you're not like experienced. Mm-hmm. If you go in and you jerk people around, they're going to be like, you just embarrassed me. The other thing I laugh yeah. about too is like you're under contract for like a five unit deal and you bring like 17 people to your inspection <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you're like oh really? <laughs> you cannot do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, they're going to, you got you got your grandpa out there. You know, oh Look what gosh. I'm buying. Yeah. Check this out. Yeah. There's something. I mean, and then yeah. also too, it's like you have like, a contractor, a plumber, yeah. an electrician, yep. a, your inspector. You have all these things. And yeah, you've invited five of your friends because you're so excited. <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding? I literally, because when we used to manage, I would see this sometimes for showings. And I would walk in and I'd be like, this guy is not buying this yeah. deal. Like, you have this many people on inspection. Somebody's going to find a reason why you don't need to buy this deal. I mean, Crystal and yes. I have a rule is besides one of our properties, like we never, ever say we're the owners, ever. Like ever. If I go there, who's the owner? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm with management. Okay, yeah. well, can you tell the owner he's a real asshole? I will make sure I relay that to him immediately. Like, you know, because if you just yep. rehab, you're, you know, they're pissed off. Correct. But, so we just don't because 
it's just how we are. It's yeah. like this is this isn't like hey, let's show everybody. I mean, we don't even show our our family. I mean, they're like, oh, we drive like yeah, here's the address. Like you sure. gonna show us it. We're like, no, it's it's just such a business for us. I yep. don't want people to see me dancing around, and yeah. it's not like that for us. Um, a question I have for you too, since you kind of mentioned, it, what what do you think? Because I know you do you have comp. You don't really have competition, or if you do, the people you get money from, yeah. Um, are they? You're not. You're going to your sphere, your family, your friends, but they're. You're not having really competition where they're going to go put their money in another syndicate or somebody. Do you? It's kind of like it's pretty rare. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, so the competition is really just buying the deal for you. It's cor- like you're competing with correct. other guys that are raising money, and how can you? Basically, how can you get in there? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and, and there's there's all different kinds of money you can raise. You know, um, like I I mean, just to give you know listeners an idea, if you want to try to go and make this your day job, like I have a friend. We were both in business school together at USC. We were both thinking we were going to go be employed. You know, afterwards we weren't. Like I kind of wanted the. You know, I kind of like you know, brag to my classmates, like, I want to go do my own thing. Yeah. But you want like, to be Uncle Bruce, basically. I wanted to be Uncle Bruce. <laughs> yeah. But I'd done, like, a deal, like, two deals at the time. Yeah. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it's not really going to pay the bills. Um, you know, but but so, like, I remember we were almost done with class. This guy had a little 10-unit in, like, Pico Union, just, like, just west of downtown L.A., like, in the ghetto. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd seen kind of similar properties before, so I got that, and I, I liked his basis. Like, it felt cool. You know, he's buying this little 10-unit. Awesome. And it was like 80 grand a door or something, by the way. It was a great price, um, even at the time and even in that area. Um, so that guy has since, I think he did about 15 or 16 kind of fix and flips. Uh, he started going a little more upscale, like, uh, you know, Venice, Santa Monica. Oh, some wow. nice mm-hmm. nice deals on the beach that he just got into who knows how. Bought out rent control tenants like you have to do up there. Um, sometimes paying as much as like 70 grand Crazy. to people to leave. Yeah. Yeah. But yep. literally one property tripled the income, right? And, and on a cap rate, I mean, that's that's tripling the value. So it's kind of a no-brainer when you have to pay those. Correct. You're like, it's painful, but. Correct. It's all about the upside. Yeah. So he, he did 15 or 16 of those. He went and raised a fund. He took that track record of like 15 or 16 deals, you know, all in the last few years. That guy now has a $100 million fund that he's deploying wow. with a family office in uh, in Los Angeles. So he's he's a smart dude. There, I mean, there's 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 pros and cons to any kind of money you want to raise. Like there's pros and cons to fund structures. There's pros and cons to syndications, you know, even just, I'm going to have part, you know, I'm going to be like me and my brother and my dad as partners. There's pros and cons to any of that stuff, you know? Um, And again, I'm happy to talk with anyone if they have, you know, further details. But um, I've just, I found that uh, when I started, you know, when I made the jump to owning my own company, I thought, okay, I can go buy, you know, like a fourplex or two a year, maybe myself, and be fully employed. Um, or, like, I, I see how people raise money in real estate. I see that I can buy bigger deals. There's going to be, obviously, more management fee income from that, right? Like, I get all of my promote structure from doing those deals and running them. And so it was just a leverage play, really, for me, you know. Um, and that was going to help keep the lights on and pay the bills as I started up my my deal. And who knows, maybe someday I would, you know, kind of return money and just have my own stuff. Like we were talking about earlier, just not mm-hmm. having to answer to anyone would be nice. Um, 
But back to Uncle Bruce again. <laughs> back to that right? guy. It's like he probably doesn't have partners, right? It's like no one. See, he doesn't care. It really is a difference. <laughs> it is. Investors. Yeah. Yeah. You only. I guess you only answered. But it takes tenants. time to get there, and you know, I mean, correct. Like you said, I think the more money you have, the more kind of manpower you have. So even if you're kind of having some of your money in these deals, as you roll up to these bigger deals or trade up, it's like you can get more cash sure. so that you can eventually start having a larger percentage in deals or doing a couple deals here or there on yep. your own. Yep. Just uh, takes time. Yeah, no, and that's candidly something you, that, uh, you know, cause then you have to, you have to watch out because it's like, if, you know, if investors ever heard that you did this one yourself, you know, and didn't present it then. Did you save like, the better one for me? A second. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So then maybe bigger percentages. There's some fiduciary stuff, some maybe. fiduciary no, that's questions. The, that's the thing you yeah. got to, um, so kind of jumping now into exactly getting down to like what exactly you're doing with the building. Okay. So can you talk about if you want to, whatever you're comfortable with, how your structure is? Yeah, like sure. If somebody, let's say if somebody like hears this and says, Hey, sounds like a nice guy. Yeah. What am I, if I give you X, what am I going to get back? And sure. You're kind of like your deal structure. And also let's do it when with with the deal structure, can you talk about how it's set up legally? Like, are you LLC? Are you a tick too? You just have to sign some non-disclosures really quick. Is that all? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and all the listeners too. <laughs> no, um, yeah. So, so we do single-purpose entities at all the property levels, LLCs okay. Okay. at all the property levels. Um, so, like my company's Casador. So we have Casador, and then usually the street name LLC is our okay. is our syntax. Okay. Um, and basically, um, I, I try to keep it very simple in terms of what the structure looks like with investors. And kind of what the expected returns are. Um, basically, I I accept money. Really, anything down to like fifty grand is kind of like minimum investment. Sure. Um, I tell people I don't want their lunch money, right? Like I don't. Yeah. I don't like even my really contemporaries. Like unless they've had like a liquidity event or something, I'm like, hey, listen, like, you know, I don't ever want to have a situation where this was all you had to invest and yeah. something went wrong. You know, so that's a problem. I generally tell people like. I want whatever you're giving me to be like less than 10% of what you have available to invest, usually like 5% of what you have available to invest. Um, you know, so it's really generally like older, more established people, you okay. know, they're, they're giving me money. Um, and then from there, uh, basically our structure is we have a preferred return to investors and then we have a uh, like a one hurdle or split of profits after that. Mm-hmm. And so it varies by the deal, but Obviously. usually that preferred return is pretty close to like what the expected cash flow on the deal will be. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's usually like a six, somewhere okay. around there. Um, and so basically there, there's different ways you can do a, a pref or a preferred return, but ours is um, non-cumulative, non-compounding basically. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to have to sell a deal, right, where we would get behind that return uh, like say we say we ended like we thought we were gonna sell this deal in two or three years, we ended up not and having to hold it for cash flow. If I owe a preferred return to investors of six percent, the deal is only cash flowing five and a half. Uh, there's a deficiency that's gonna accrue, 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 and whenever we do sell, that's gonna be like a really bad thing for me. Like I could potentially own a lot over a long period of time, and candidly, most of my investors don't really want to have to flip and sell right away. So we structure it. Like non-cumulative. We say everything up to a six every year is going to be distributed. Mm-hmm. And then above that, it's split usually like 
75% to investors, 25 to me, or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. around, around that range. It depends kind of on how much skin in the game I have, how much yeah. I put into the deal, what our co-invest is, technically is what it's called, mm-hmm. um, and some certain other things. But then I obviously have the property management. That's out of the operations of the property, right? Uh, property management fee. Um, I get like a little acquisition fee, we call it, for finding the deal, you yeah. know, for bringing investors what I think is a better-than-market deal. Um and that's really kind of it. It's not it's You're not super pretty complicated. straightforward, pretty simple. Yeah. And then expected returns are like usually like a if you're looking on an IRR internal rate of return is usually going to be which is like total return, right? Mm-hmm. Um is usually going to be like mid to high teens basically. Um and then cash flow depending on where we are, you know, more coastal stuff like that Bankers Hill deal, I think we projected like 5.1 cash flow after we refied, kind of mm-hmm. year, year one stabilized. Um, I have a deal in Spring Valley right now um, where we think it's going to be like 7 or 7.5% cash yeah. flow after refi. In Spring so. Valley. <laughs> yeah. Spring Valley. What yeah. type right. of um, yeah. debt are you doing, non-recourse or recourse? Yeah, non-recourse. Okay. Are you yeah. doing IO? We usually do. Yeah, just to boost the cash flow in the short term. Makes sense. And I mean, yeah. we're, I'm doing that. We're doing yeah, that. Yeah, and That's I've heard smart. you guys' mentality. It's like, I mean. Honestly, like, you know, I get it. It's like you're putting the money down. For you, too, you're like, I want to return on the investment. Sure. They want to return on their money. Especially yep. if you're rehabbing, too, on top of that. You're like, so I'm going to do principal pay down, and I'm going to be increasing the value, putting more cash into the yeah. deal. It's just – it sounds like you're pretty conservative on your leverage, too. Sure. And, I, like, just going back to that whole thing with people, like, you know, buying something in Texas that's an 8-cap versus here. Yeah. It's like you don't get that appreciation in Texas the way that you're going to yep. get it here. So yep. that's another kind of – bonus whenever you're selling out of these deals is that little kick you're going to get on the appreciation where a lot of these other places in the country you might get more cash flow but you're not going to get the kind of appreciation you will correct yeah i was listening to somebody on a podcast and they're saying they bought a deal huge cash flow yeah and then they're like we're just ready to sell it and they're like (laughs) we're trying to sell it. not happening yeah and they're just sitting here like clapping my hands because they're like yep and they're used to being in markets where it's like fluid and mm-hmm. you move and they're like holy smokes so they're like if you buy a deal somewhere and you're trying to, and you think you're gonna have an exit on it they're like you better prepare because i mean she's had a client i can't remember he tried to sell a building you know who i'm talking about um and they had the one building the family in some weird state and he tried to sell it. i think it took him two years and yeah. uh, he was like, wow. don't ever buy it. He's like, this is... It's it, like Kansas or Oklahoma yep, or these places. And the, and the constant, like, is it going to... It's just, yep. he, he said it was on my mind all the time. Yep. So. so people get sold on that because they'll be like, yeah, I bought this deal in Kansas. And I'm like, well, that's an interesting choice. I'm like, yeah, but these people, they, they pay the rent and they pretty much like live there until they die. I'm like, that's great, but... Yeah. How much appreciation are you getting? And like he said, when you go to sell, like how easy is it going to be to Correct. sell a deal in Kansas? Not easy. No, it's, I mean, that was the experience with that fund that I worked for, the private equity fund. They were very smart guys, um, had like 20 year track record, had outperformed, done very, very well. But yeah, there's certain markets where they were, they were surprised too. You know, I mean, they, they had a lot of experience, but, um, you know, like, uh, what's it called? It was like a little town in Colorado they bought in, um, Western Colorado. And yeah, sometimes I mean, it took them like 18 months to sell the deal. You know? Crazy. Yeah. And your IRR is just ticking that whole time. You know, it's just dropping, dropping, dropping. So there's there's, there's obviously a risk to that. And yeah, I mean, it seems like last six, 12 months, uh, you know, uh, 
trying to sell a deal even here in San Diego has gotten a little difficult. Yeah. More difficult stuff has been sitting a little bit longer, even on the even on the apartment side. Um, but yeah, it just it's just going to get amplified in, in tertiary markets. And so we always talk about um, aligning um, the term of your investment horizon, obviously with your debt as well. You know, because mm-hmm. if you're if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to buy this deal in Kansas, I'm going to put you know three year debt on it or something. You can't sell that thing for a cycle, you know, for ten years. Like right. you're going to be done. My uh, my family actually has a, a, a property in a tertiary market that they bought <laughs> for certain reasons, like at the worst time imaginable last cycle. And uh, I currently manage it actually for them, for my <laughs> management company. We've had it for ten plus years. We still can't sell it. It still hasn't reached what it was last cycle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, uh, you know, I'll look, I look at a lot of other markets. Like I, sometimes I'll take trips to, you know, Vegas or Reno or, uh, Austin or wherever to so look at little do, deals. Yeah. I do a little bit every time I'm like, is this going to be my, that deal? You know, like, is this going to be that one that, and you know, I don't think that's going to happen in Austin, Texas, but, but yeah, people start to chase yield, you know? We they always do. say that Yeah. right now, right now. Late yeah. cycle. It's standard. Yeah, It's you, just like last. It's, everybody's going yep. to Arizona yep. and everybody's Vegas. going. And, yep. Yeah, yep. they're trying to go to Texas yep. and they're trying to go these are, places. Are you, um, since, you're, since you have family and stuff, is your kind of goal is a lot of the people like, hey, let's keep the money and keep it rolling, kind yes. of like to build the wealth. Correct. So mm-hmm. you're not just like, hey, get my money back out. A lot of these people are like, hey, let's build this. Let's make it bigger. Let's kind of build wealth together. They're they're cool with that kind of for the most part okay. yeah and it, it becomes difficult though when you have a group of people and not everyone you know and things change you know you can do a, a secondary market transaction where someone could buy someone else out you know mm-hmm. within the partnership in that the case doesn't that sound super easy though it's not, it's not yeah. no it's not easy um but in the case that you know they wanted that to happen or someone you changed could. their mind you certainly could yeah so i try to manage that going in you know i I really sometimes i feel like i'm like a matchmaker is kind of like being a syndicator yeah it's like i find the deal who's going to be my investor on this deal or what kind of group can i take this to you know and um and so like that bankers hill deal we love the location this is like maybe not ever going to sell this we spent so much in the renovation it looks so awesome this is not really one that I want to flip. You know, we're probably going to hold this one for at least a good period of time. If, like, like Blackstone says, everything's for sale for the right price, right? Oh, right. of course. Someone yeah. comes along. <laughs> yes. Someone comes along yeah. and makes a crazy offer. Sure, you can have it. You know, we'll go on and buy a thirty unit from a ten or whatever it is. But, um, and so most of my investors in that deal, I tried to make sure we're probably going to hold this. You know, we could sell it, we could flip it if we get the offer. And you just make sure everyone knows that from the get-go, you know, because – and then you kind of – you can – I have this master spreadsheet, you know, what does this guy want? Has he invested before? How much has he put in? What does he want to do, you know? And I just kind of match things up. It's smart too because I think, like you said, I mean, if you have people who are maybe a little bit later in life that, that yeah. are just looking for maybe cash flow, that's one thing. And then you have maybe people who are a little bit younger and they're trying to build wealth. They're probably not the right person for that longer term hold correct so you have to match them maybe with more of a flip so they could start correct growing that that investment with you one interesting thing that i found is that people don't like conservative plays as strange as that sounds like they want yield they want return yeah and i like i what you're saying like is totally correct I'd say for the yeah, like millennials, they're gonna like they want to double or triple. They oh, want this penny yeah. stock yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, they yeah. Do yeah, crazy stuff and make you know make some serious money. Um, but like even some more like I've been talking as well with kind of some more sophisticated investors about 
uh, like a systematic partnership with them. Um, and I'm surprised that some people like they still, you know, as late as we are in this economic cycle, they still want to do a two or three year fix and flip and go on to the next one and, you know, hopefully double their money in two or two flips or something, you know, and there's just all, it's funny, you know, but it's almost like it's easier to sell like, you know, this, this new, this new miracle drug right, than it right. is to sell like this, the slow and steady. It's, right. you know, it's like, but then you see what Warren Buffett has done with relatively slow and steady over a long period of time. And, you know, and then you see the, the boom and bust stuff. And I so, think that's the hard thing because we're all in a rush to get to our goal, yeah. whatever it is. And then you get to that goal and you're like, no, now I have this goal. Like, sure. you know, it's never enough. But sure. I think you're right. A lot of, I'm still seeing it quite a bit too. But what I've also been noticing in the market with a lot of the rehabs is some of the rentals are tough because there's so many rehab yep. deals out there. Yep, absolutely. And then you have all this luxury, brand new stuff hitting the market. Uh-huh. That's getting So crushed. that's creating a little bit more, but it's creating more competition right yeah. now. So it's causing no, stuff to sit around a little bit longer. Than- yeah, I think, I mean, I was looking on CoStar down, it's part of the function of the fact that there's a lot of properties in lease up. Mm-hmm. But downtown, thousand rate vacancies. Is it it's like ten percent. Yeah, it's over ten percent. Like twelve percent vacancy. And there's Crazy. more buildings coming yes. to market, and they're so expensive too. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we're probably all conservative sitting at a table. I mean, I told you before we start, we pay for rent, but it's sure. Like, oh yeah, I'm down there at five thousand a month. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, so when you your bonus gets cut from your W two job, you're going to be in North Park paying yeah. twenty five hundred bucks. Yes, and that's, they are. That's what's going to happen. Yep. Um, so when you're buying, I mean, you talked about, you talked about several different deals you're buying, how, when you buy a deal, our question always is, is with us too, is how do you know what to renovate, not to renovate, you know, what's over, what's under, you know, how do you know going into deal? Yeah. I mean, um, I think this is maybe the, the biggest challenge for someone starting out is you need to have like a frame set, you know, you need to know what you're looking for. And what is a deal? And so that's why I think having a men- listening to a podcast like this, you know, having a mentor, or at least someone that can point you in the right direction, um, and that isn't a scam artist, by the way, too, because there's some of those in uh-huh. this industry. Yes, there is. Um, like if you see a if you see a sign on the side of the freeway that says "Real Estate Investor Looking for Mentor," like don't call Run. that number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't call the yeah. phone number. That's not it's not going to be what you want. But if you can find someone that's actually established in the industry and can advise you a little bit, or that's done really well. Like my uncle Bruce, obviously, you know, give him a call, intern for free, you know, find out how they did what they did. Um, because, yeah, like if you want to go direct to a listing agent, right, and um, and win a deal by getting them to rep you, you're not going to have anyone advocating for you. You know, you're not going to have anyone that's telling you really whether it's a good deal or not or how to underwrite it. And so you got to have a basic framework. Um, but for me and what I tell brokers uh, my two metrics are I'm a, a basis play buyer. Like I like to keep the price per unit as low as possible for a relative area of San Diego or for a relative market. Um, and so actually for really almost all of my deals, that's been like 200000 a door or less. Um, the most we've ever paid was 227 a door for mostly three bedrooms right by SDSU. Wow. Still um, a really good price. Yeah. Last year, pretty good. Yeah, I think that's probably worth 275 ish now or somewhere in there. Um, and we've paid as low as like 175. So our Spring Valley deal is all two bedrooms and it's 178 a door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, price per unit is number one. Like I just, I want to be below replacement cost. Right? I want to feel good about that, right? Like even if something goes wrong, 
I can still add some value and then sell for a market average, which is higher, ideally. So that's your philosophy. Boom, price per door. It's like price per door okay. and then a realistic pro forma cap rate on rents that I can see in the market now. Like I don't want brokers <laughs> telling me, oh, yeah, you can renovate this and get these rents and it's going to be a seven cap. No. Okay, thank you. But send me the T12, send me the trailing 12, you know, financial, send me the rent roll. I'm going to put this in my model. And uh, I generally need to be like, you know, high five or low six cap on like stable after I finish my work, right? So what I normally like, we'll buy a four or four and a half, we'll get it to a six, we'll sell it at a five. That's kind of my mm-hmm. model. So you make a C, a B in, in a way, right? Correct. Okay. So we make, yeah, we, we buy, yeah. I, I try to say worst property in the best location. To some degree, I feel like San Diego alone is the best look is the best location right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 to begin with. Yeah. So, um, you know, like our, like our deal in Oceanside, you know, Oceanside is for a long time was like Camp Pendleton, Marine Corps, Gritty, obviously is having a little gentrification. Yep. Um, this is literally the corner of the South Coast Highway and like Vista Way. It's like oh, 30,000 wow. cars a day. It's an awesome site. And uh, I think we got it at a pretty good basis. So that, that was kind of worst property in the best location. I mean, the, you guys are like this. You guys are managers. The broker was was like boasting to me, we haven't had anyone move out in like three years at this property. Your rents are too low. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. He literally, I mean, these were... You know, I mean, like nine hundred dollars a month. And they're yeah. rats, and they don't and you're care. Like, yeah. Okay, how? Where in San Diego can you rent anything for less than a thousand dollars? You can't anymore. Especially, come you on, can't. that close to the water. Yeah. You can't like, unless yeah. it's like a. Yeah, I've just. I mean, I call, he he called me back. There was some like funny bill or something. He called me a little bit ago, and he's like, "How's it going?" And I told him that I mean, we moved the rent roll from like on average like a thousand a month to like almost sixteen hundred a month. You know? Yeah. I mean. And people love our units, and like I mean, and he's like, "Are you?" He can't even fathom like how that's possible, you know. And so I've that, I've traditionally bought from twenty, thirty, forty year owners, long time owners mm-hmm. that just aren't in touch with the current market. Or they don't care, or they don't care because I heard this. Care. I heard this before. Is like I've said this so many times because I I look at people's rent rolls and I'm like, what the hell is this guy thinking? Like he's not even he's buying yeah. more stuff and he's not even maximizing what yeah. he has. But they bought it so much cheaper. Yep. So they they're happy. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care. No, if you look so like you said, they're like, yep, they got their return. Move on. That's like oh, they might they might have full on cashed out refied. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they might yeah. have no money in the yeah. deal. They don't care. Yeah. No, we looked at a. Uh, I've looked, I've looked, I spent a lot of time researching like census data and a lot of uh, like analytically looking at San Diego market. If you pull um, like rent growth data, right? Like year to year changes in rents over the last 20 years, average for all San Diego, all apartment classes is like 3.6% a year mm-hmm. on average. Okay. That's your top line is going up on average 3.6% a year. We know state of California, your property taxes only go up 2% a year, right? After you buy mm-hmm. something. And if you lock a fixed rate mortgage, it's not going to change. It's just, it's just the, the disparity is just growing over time. You yeah. know? I mean, you're going three to three, three and a half percent up every year and your expenses are staying relatively stable. Right. You know? So you hold something for 20 years, right? I mean, it's like, it's going to do okay. On top, on top of the, you know, your equity play, which Correct. is huge. Yeah. So you get these guys that have done so well, they just don't even care. It doesn't, it's crazy, but. So I have a question on your renovations too yeah. is, um, we have this debate with friends and clients too is when you're going to do a renovation, are you giving rent increases or are you giving notices to vacate? 
What is your philosophy? <laughs> oh, on this? that's a good question. We I just d- had this other day. I do. I'm, this is the one part of my life where I'm a mean guy, I guess. But um, so we we do various things. But I will tell you one. This is my mega trick that I will that I will disclose. A super you, secret. You guys get your pen out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. As you guys are aware, lenders lend on the in-place income generally of the property, right? right. Like maybe a bridge lender is going to give you rents based on your pro forma. Um, I think we already talked about this, but um, what we what we'll do is, if rents are so low, like so far below market, and we want to get a reasonable loan, we'll and the and the seller is amenable, we'll actually pass through an increase while we have the property in escrow. So, yep, we've done that. Yeah, so we did that in Oceanside. Um, we've done that all over the place. A lot honestly. of people don't know that, though. That's a good trick. So if you're, like, say you're going to buy a building for $2 million yep. and you it's you got to put a million down, you're like, but I need, I don't have a million down. Yep. You could bridge that gap by by the time you, it, like, when you release contingencies, you yep. go, oh, by the way, I'm releasing my money, yep. but I need you to put these in, and yep. it will With work. With your repair yeah. request, here's so your that, So now request. you have 750 or 800 down, it will uh-huh. work, whatever. That's what he's saying. Sure. He didn't get that. Yeah, it'll, it'll increase your, you know, the loan to value. They're only going to go to a certain loan to value yeah. or DCR, but because the income's higher, um, they can loan more to you. So that's, I mean, I heard, I don't know who you heard that from, but it's, you know, Amongst, I guess, people like us, relatively common, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people know about that trick, which is a pretty good no. one. Yeah. So we'll, it's, we'll usually do that if we can, um, and then yeah, we we just we try to be pretty reasonable with people. You know, um, it's like we'll we will serve a sixty day notice termination of tenancy, basically, um, because we're going to make necessary repairs to the unit, you know, improvements to the unit and everything. Um, but we generally will even because time is money, like the quicker they can be out, the better. And so we'll go to people and say, Hey, like, can we help you relocate? Can we help you find a place? Yeah. Yeah, And, and, and help them out with that, um, financially. Um, and if not, no big deal. It's fine, obviously. Um, and then, uh, I think we, we just, we try to take care of people. We obviously, if they want to stay at the property, we've had people that like we'll renovate some, they'll see how much nicer they are. They want to move across, you know, they can qualify. They have to obviously qualify for it, but yeah, we, we try to be reasonable. Um, but yeah, normally we'll, we serve increases often during escrow and then, um, and then 60 day notices thereafter when we close. Yeah. We, our philosophy is a 60 day notice to vacate just because people have this battle all the time. Well, what if they want to stay and they're really good tenants? And I'm like, what if when you give them that huge rent increase, they're really pissed off and they start telling every new person that moves in how, how crappy you are. And it's just like, we kind of like the idea of, all new people coming in that like really appreciate mm-hmm. what you've done and they're like super excited to live there. So we don't do the Yeah, it's all increases. new neighbors, yes. all new blood. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then sometimes we do, we'll talk with them and say, hey, well, if you do want to live in one of these units, we'll get one of them done and you can move over. It's pretty rare. But it's yeah, rare, but it's happen, happened yeah. once or twice. Same for us. Yeah. So um, I know we're kind of wrapping up here. So I got a question for you, for anybody listening, because you have a lot of you've you got a decent background. Um, you went to school. You went. You basically did like more of the bigger stuff. Sure. Now you're doing your own stuff. If somebody is, um, what's your biggest piece of advice? If somebody's like they're working a job, but they're going to start buying real estate. It's a side hustle. You know, I know the markets more expensive, sure. not as many deals. Um, they've got some cash they saved up. What's, what is, and somebody comes there and like, hey, I want to take you to coffee. Yeah. You know, what do you, what's the advice you're going to leave them with? 
I'd, I'd probably, um, you know, I'd say get a mentor, like get an understanding of how to underwrite a deal, even if that's like, like there's that bigger pockets or whatever, you know, like I think yeah. there's forums on there where you can kind of yeah. learn stuff or find a mentor that can help you understand how to find an opportunity and what, you know, how to under, just even if it's a very basic little Excel one page model you have, you know, like, or even back of the napkin, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like, here's my income, here's my expenses, what's my cap rate going to be, what's my cash flow. Get someone that can help you understand that or get an understanding of that. And then I'd probably honestly try to make friends in the brokerage community, you know, just like try to be friends with some little brokers in town, you know, that are like, I mean, you can look in the San Diego Business Journal. Every, once a month they publish like the multifamily sales, the deals that come out. You can, oh, what is this broker that represented the buyer, you know? Take that guy to lunch. Find out, hey, like how do I become your friend? You know, like, can, I, can I bribe yeah. you? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, can yeah. I, how can I win a deal? Like yeah. send me your smallest little deal. Give me a shot, you know, and then you got to perform for them obviously. But I think that would probably be the advice. Yeah, you know, get a mentor, get a frame of reference to – find out what is a good opportunity and then you got to get an in into finding a deal which is probably through a broker that's what i i tell people too there's a i did an event um i spoke at this little event and i had a couple of women who wanted to start getting into syndication and stuff and Mm. it's not really my thing but i'm like i can definitely tell you how to find a deal and what you need to do is call probably 10 different brokers and start building a relationship with them and talking to them and learning sweat equity and underwriting underwrite 10 15 20 deals that you're not even going to buy just go on LoopNet and start looking at ones you think are good and do the little underwriting on them Mm -hmm. you know i think that and then if you do have like a mentor or somebody who you can run it by and say hey did i look at this correctly what would you do because you mentioned before is like a lot of these marketing packages are really interesting. Oh, yeah. You're like, no, oh, there's like 20% expenses. That's weird. Yeah. How do you get by with that? So there's a lot yeah. of like kind of metrics like and toilet so. toilet paper packages. Yeah, yeah. I think like <laughs> I mean, you right? said, yeah. Like, yeah, yes. and I think out there, I, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't ask. So many of us are willing to help if you would only ask. So um, I know you've said it multiple times and people want to reach out to you as, you know, yep. for advice. Um, I say that all the time with me, like, hey, send me a deal. I'm happy to look at it for you. This is what we do. It's what we love anyways. Yep. So it's yeah, like I'm can. happy to help and share knowledge. Sure. The truth of the matter is a lot of people don't take your advice. So I'm happy to give it out and yep. say, you know, hopefully they'll take it and run with it. But it's worth, it's worth what they pay for, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and most people are really <clears> – <throat> willing to help a lot more than you think like brokers and people because you never know when you're going to meet that next big mm-hmm. client either like isn't it i mean it's cool sometimes you see that little guy who was starting with their first deal that all of a sudden they're a syndicator you know yep. you, somebody sold you a duplex and they didn't know who you were going to be correct yeah you know so sure absolutely what um kind of last question couple questions in the one question is obviously where we're at in the market in your opinion, but so where does that put you as far as, you know, what's next for you over the next couple of years? Yeah. And then what's your kind of goal with, do you have a goal? Like I got, want to get a thousand units. I don't have any goals. Okay. I'm not really kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm those. just kind of going with the flow. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it's a good question. And um, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes like we had this, uh, we had some friction uh, at the fund that I work for, and it's common in a lot of real estate investment firms or any firms where you have like a sales side. As an acquisitions guy, you kind of are like a sales guy. Like mm-hmm. it's like you get paid probably on some commission by the deals that you do. And if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And you want to pound nails. And so it's like 
you want to do deals. And like, we're talking about real estate here. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's things you got to keep in mind. Um, obviously we're, I think the second longest like recovery period in U S history right now, right yep. behind the early nineties one, I think in terms of time frame. um, you know, so that's a consideration. I remember like 2015, I thought things were expensive and then 2017, it's like, holy crap, people sold those things they bought expensively in 2015 in 2017. And then that's like, now we're in 2019. Like it's, it, it's kind of incredible to run the markets had. Um, I think the interesting thing is even at the institutional level, things are very expensive. Um, but the fundamentals are kind of there for the Mm -hmm. most part in most markets. There's some markets like Dallas, Texas, I think they delivered 50,000 apartments last year, right? Yeah. Like San Diego is not that much different in size, but we deliver like 6,000 apartments, right? Right. Like in a big year, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, like, that feels ridiculous. pretty good, you know? So as long as supply is not out of control, as long as the demographic story is still there, you know, um, and you can kind of make sense of the the metrics of the deal, um, I think there's opportunity to be had. I think it's important to be conservative, not go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying that, like, for me, it's like I'll do one bridge loan at the time. I'm not going to do more than that, even if it's not recourse. Like I just don't want to have what I call interest rate risk because I have to refinance that in a year or two. I don't want to have two interest rate risk deals at the same time. Like I'd like to have everything else at least locked for you know with this incredible debt we have right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know it's funny, but as as, as a fund manager people get paid to be pessimistic sometimes. You know, you yeah. want the guy that's running your money to be like, oh, are you serious? This could happen, this could happen. <laughs> yeah. But somehow he still does well. You yeah. know, like, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. what you want. Like, him, yeah. to be, him to act super conservative, think about everything that could possibly go mm-hmm. wrong and somehow still do well, right? So it's funny, but a lot of people that, you know, they said in 2017, you know, we're done. We're not buying anything else this cycle. But then, like, you see them, you know, sending a business journal. They just closed this 100-unit deal or something. So, um it is interesting. I think it's a, you know, candidly, n- no one knows what's going to happen in the, in the future. It's impossible to predict. Like you were saying, people ask you, should I buy a home, right? Or should I sell a yeah. home? It's like the worst question ever because yeah. <laughs> there's no way I could possibly know if that's a good decision or not. But here's, you know, here's some thoughts that I have. Yeah. Um, I think demographic story, you know, that we have in San Diego, um, low supply, it's just a supply and demand game for multifamily. So I, I think for certain reasons... I can get comfortable even where we are in the market as long as I'm underwriting, again, pretty conservatively, putting not crazy debt on stuff because that's how you can really get hurt, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, for us, it's like in my with my main investor, I kind of told him, here, we're going to buy some stuff. It's going to have pretty good cash flow. I'm hoping we can ex- start at, exchange that all up at least one more time you know, before the music stops or whatever is going to happen. That's kind of our goal with what we've got right now. Um, we're kind of having some discussions about whether we just sell it all out and return money or um, or exchange up, and maybe we make that decision at the deal level. But that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, you know, I could – I candidly, I'm not sure which kind of direction we're going to go in in terms of fundraising in the future. Um, like I said, there's – and my buddy would have just raised the fund. Like, that's cool. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily want to do that. You know, I kind of I kind of like our model – I'd, I'd like to grow the management company a little more. I mean, obviously, it's it's competitive here in San Diego. There's a lot of management companies. 
I might ask you guys after the fact for some for some uh, advice there. I think you have a little experience in property management, <laughs> a little bit. A little um, bit. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I think um, for me it's like you know I, I I have a family to provide for. This is my day job. I'm just trying to to do right by my investors and make the best decisions that I can. You know, with their investable assets at this you know at where we I think we are in the cycle. That's kind of my. Am yeah, I, it's funny. It's I I agree. It's funny because mm-hmm. um, when people go meet with big apartment owners and they sit down and they ask the same question, and they're they're like, "I met with so and so and asked him this question. This is his answer. Like, what kind of answer is that?" And I go, "What did he say?" Because I know he yeah. he said, "Just buy. Just keep buying." <laughs> they're like, "But it's expensive." He goes, "Yeah, they told me that twenty years ago too." As compared to what? What? Yep. Um, so, you know, so so the philosophy for them is. Just keep buying and mm-hmm. buying and buying and buying yeah. and buying because if you're trying to buy and sell it in a year to make you know a million bucks, yep. well, that's a different story. But people tell me, should I buy a house? I go, how long do you live in the house? 20 years. Okay, interest rates are this, 20 years. Yep. You just answer your question. Like, yep. Are you trying to flip this house in two years? No? Okay, then what's you're the problem? Good. Yeah. yeah. And no, I, I think that's, that's kind of the mentality. And like you said, Alan Nevin was in here. And we haven't posted that one yet, but that was good. And he's, you know. There's all these economic drivers, and he's all he's, about San Diego. Yeah, sure. and that he, guy knows every demographic, <laughs> every no, and that's what he yeah. said is statistic. He's, he everything is so sure. fired yeah. up on San Diego, yeah. and he said there's a lot of smart people that live here, and there's a lot of smart people that come to school here and they leave here. If we have more jobs, they get better, and you yeah. know we have I think nine driving demographics. It's like sure. there's 35 million people that come visit San Diego a year to vacation <laughs> here, and we get to live here. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and most people that move here are going to rent because they can't afford to live here. And even if mm-hmm. they can afford, they're probably going to rent to see where they want to live. Is it North County? Is it down here right now? So, yeah, it's like I, there's always the article. It's like average, takes the average family 18 years, right, to save for a down payment on the average. <laughs> is that what it is? Correct. That just came out in the Union Tribune a few weeks ago. Wow. 18 that's crazy. years for the average income family. To be able to afford the average down payment on a San Diego home right now, so and most of the properties crazy. besides maybe your Bankers Hill, I would say that most of your properties are probably going to be renters for life. Correct. We call them renters by necessity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of renters yeah. by choice. Yeah. yeah. You guys are renters by choice. Yeah. You guys are fancy. <laughs> we are. We're trying. Uh, I, I've been wanting a house, but that's a subject for another time. Sure. <laughs> Kenny's like, there's nope, a goal, then you get the house. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you off camera. No. <laughs> but thanks for coming on. Hey, I re- thanks, really guys. appreciate it. I think sure. I think we got some nuggets here. It's cool to see how your side is and you know, obviously the responsibility is somebody else's money and which is I think, you know, it seems like you're taking this seriously and you're very conservative and not everybody's doing that and I it's think a big that's responsibility. A, yeah, yeah. I try and, a, yeah. yeah, smart. Yeah, and any questions? I mean like I I did the career thing in real estate for quite a while. Like I networked like crazy. I mean, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah, what's whatever. the best way to reach you? Uh, I guess I get a lot of spam on LinkedIn, so probably just um, I think you guys will put on on your social media. I'm yeah, assuming we'll afterwards it. on my stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm um, I'm Cazador on Instagram, um, which is my company name. Um, you can f- I'll I'll share all my my contact info, okay. email, phone number, whatever you want, or LinkedIn, cool. whatever cool. it is. Take them yeah. out to lunch. They'll tell you all the secrets. Let's do it anytime. <laughs> cool, Hunter. Thanks again for coming on, and hopefully everybody got some nuggets. We'll put his information below. How to find him? Take him out to lunch. Learn something. All right, let's do it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.